So in other words, if a person lusts after a woman in his heart, that's the same as laying with her. God did not, Jesus did not say that. He did not even imply that. What he's saying is that, no, you shouldn't lay with a woman, but neither should you lust in your heart because that's where sin finds its origin. The origin doesn't mean it's to come to its conclusion. Hello, my dear listeners. This is Joe Durso, and you're listening to That They Might Know. You know, at present, we live in an age and a time when there is a great deal of contention uh, among our people in America, uh, politically, morally. It's, uh, it's, it's not new. It's certainly not the first time in human history. It's fairly common, actually. Uh, but in our day, uh, well, in my day, and that, that would be growing up as a teenager in the 60s, uh, we had what was known as the generation gap. And um, basically, um, uh, a huge misunderstanding between uh, the generation that came before, the generation of, um, of the Great Depression, of a World War, and, and then uh, their children. And so we didn't see eye to eye on a great many things. And the, the question that's before us today is how should a Christian look at the differences between generations? Are those generations severe? Are they something that should even be con- should concern a Christian? To answer my own question, God's perspective can always help us in life, can help us to navigate our way through relationships, and help us to understand things correctly. In today's episode, I want to look at a, a common belief among God's people, one that is often shared, one that is not completely accurate according to God's word. The problem comes in in interpretation of the Bible. It's, you know, it's all too easy to just be surface in our understanding, just to, just to kind of hover on the surface without delving deep into the meaning of God's word, of doctrine, of teaching. For instance, uh, we have in, in Matthew chapter 5, uh, Jesus teaching from the Sermon on the Mount, and, and he says this, in, starting in verse 27, You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, from that, we understand, or some, that, well, we all understand that committing adultery is a sin, and that sin goes deeper than the act of adultery. It actually has its origin in the heart of men. And so sin doesn't begin in an action, it begins in a a desire. And Jesus is saying the desire brings a person into guilt before God. Everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. He didn't say he committed adultery with her in action, he said in his heart. Sin begins in the heart. Now from that, People will go and say, well, see, all sin is the same. So in other words, if a person lusts after a woman in his heart, that's the same as laying with her. God did not, Jesus did not say that. He did not even imply that. What he's saying is that, no, you shouldn't lay with a woman, but neither should you lust in your heart, because that's where sin finds its origin. The origin doesn't mean it's to come to its conclusion. I mean, let's look at another one. In James chapter 2, we read these words, beginning at um, verse 8. If, however, you are fulfilling the royal law according to the scripture, you shall not love your enemy as yourself, you're doing well. And then there's a but. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law's transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law, and yet stumbles in one point, he has become guilty of all. Wow, there's a big one again. What does this scripture mean? 
Well, we know that it means that you, to, to, to transgress the law at any point makes us guilty of all because that's what it says. Well, what exactly does that mean? Well, he goes on and he says, for he, um, that's that personal pronoun pointing to God, for he who said, do not commit adultery. Now there's God who's giving the Ten Commandments for which men should live by. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not commit murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So therefore, why? Because the, the law was given by one person, Almighty God. And we become a transgressor of the law, the whole law, because the law is attached to the person of God. It's not something separate from God. It, it, it comes from the heart of God. God decides what's right and wrong. God decided that adultery is wrong. He also decided that murder is wrong. The issue isn't the law, as though the law is God. The law is not God. The law comes from God. And the one who breaks any point of the law has transgressed against what God has said. And all of the law is in God's heart. And so when we become a transgressor, it's not the law that's the issue. It's the giver of the law that's the issue. And that's the deeper point in this passage in James chapter 2. Well, you're doing well if you love your neighbor as yourself. So, you know, you go out and you mow his lawn and you, you watch over his family and you protect him. Well, you're doing great. That's basically what's being said here. Um, but if you show partiality, you're committing sin. So you could be loving him well, um, but then you show partiality to the other neighbor across the way. And then, you know, you, you start being biased and you have these, and, and now you become a sinner, sinner in this way. So he goes on and says, whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point has become guilty of all. Why? Not, he hasn't become guilty against the one who is loving like his neighbor. He's become guilty of all because he's transgressed the one who gave the law. That's why it says for. So this leads into verse 11. For he who said do not commit Murder, adultery also said, do not commit murder. Well, the deeper meaning is that the law points to God, the giver of the law. Now, what's our relationship with God? If we're out of relationship with God at one point, we're out of relationship with everything. It just becomes, it just becomes an act which doesn't go right all the way to our, our heart. So, what's this mean? This means that all sin is not the same. This means that to, to transgress on uh, uh, how we transgress brings us into judgment with God, and only God can judge. And that brings us to Matthew chapter 11, and then we'll move over to the main portion for today. This is just a leading up to where we're going. So in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus makes this remark. Then he began to denounce the cities in which most of his miracles were done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazan. Woe to you, Bethsaida. Now, he's at Chorazan and he's at Bethsaida and it says that he was denouncing those cities because most of his miracles were done there. Why? Well, because these people were requiring miracles. These people needed to see miracles. These people would not repent. So he's performing miracles and they're, they're not getting it. How do I know that? Because it goes on and says, For if the miracles had occurred in Tyre and Sidon, which occurred in you, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. He's making a statement. This is coming from Almighty God in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is saying, that had those other cities of Tyre and Sidon, if these miracles had occurred, which occurred in Chorazin, well, they would have repented long ago. If you want to argue with God, you can argue with God, but that's what he said. 
And then he says in verse 22, nevertheless, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. This is a judgment which is being made by God before the judgment. He's forecasting what's going to take place. And he's bringing judgment, greater judgment down on this, these cities because they would have, if, if these same miracles had occurred in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented. Now, he's not saying one is innocent, one's guilty. They're all guilty. What he's saying is one is more worthy of judgment than the other. Nevertheless, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. He's making a distinction. Now, there, according to James and according to Jesus in Matthew and Sermon on the Mount, uh, there's this guilt. There's this guilt in little sins, as in great sins, but he's not saying that all the judgment is the same. And here he goes even further, and he says there's more tolerable. There's repentance, and there's those who wouldn't repent at the same point. And so it's necessary for Christian people and people with understanding to back away when it comes to judgment and leave it to God. Thus, that's where we are in this episode for today. Who judges? Who should judge? Let's leave judgment up to God and understand that it's not all the same. It's not all the same just because it seems the same on the surface, because all sin seems to be the same. It's not. There's the sin of the heart, there's the sin of action, there's the sin of motive, there's the sin of attitude, all of these areas of our lives, and only God can decipher them all and tear them all apart and understand every little bit of it. We cannot. We're even told in 1 Corinthians that not to judge motive, for instance. So this brings us to judges. Judges chapter 2, where we read this, these words in, in ver, beginning in verse 10. All that generation also will gather to their fathers. What generation? The, jo- the generation of Joshua and Moses. Moses passed on, left the work to Joshua. Joshua went, was conquering the land with the people. And that generation, after J- Joshua passed away, even so that generation would gather to their fathers and passed on. And it says, goes on to say in verse 10, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord, nor yet the work which he had done for Israel. Okay, so this is a different generation. And then it goes on in verse 11 and says, then the sons of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and serve the Baals. Now the Baals were idols, idols, not they were false gods, not the one true God. And that generation did evil by serving them. And in verse 12 says, And they forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt, and followed other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them, and bowed themselves down to them. Thus they provoked the Lord to anger. For they forsook the Lord and served the Baals and the Asherah. And the anger of the Lord burned against Israel, and he gave them into the hands of plunderers. Now get the picture here. In Joshua chapter 2, a generation came in, and they drove out, but not completely, the inhabitants of the land. The, The The generation that came in was not perfect. They were not without sin. They were just men. They were the generation who came into the land with Joshua. The the generation of the fathers before them died in the wilderness. The generation was not permitted, the first generation, to go into the land. They sinned. They sinned in idolatry. They sinned in disobedience. They saw the miracles. They saw the Red Sea. They saw Egypt destroyed before them. And they never turned, they never repented. In a manner, to some degree, they were like uh, the one that Jesus is talking about when he was talking about Sidon versus uh, Chorazin. And 
the difference. One repenting, one not repenting. They're all guilty, but there's a difference in these generations. And so the generation before Joshua's generation all fell, they all died in the wilderness, and their children, who also saw, at least some of them, the works that were done, the ones who were too young to remember, of course, were there also, and the generation grew up. And so there were those people from 0 to 20 uh, who were there, who saw what took place. That was the, that's the preceding generation. That, that's the generation that followed that first generation. That generation saw, went into the land, and conquered the land. They did it incompletely, but they did it where the generation before did not go into the land. So then we re read in Joshua chapter 1 that uh, the inhabitants, they were, there was this conquering that took place, and, but it was incomplete, as in the last chapter of Joshua. And then going into Judges. So in, in Judges, we go then into chapter 2, and the angel of the Lord appears at Gilgal, and he brings a, a harsh word, beginning in verse 1. I brought you up out of Egypt and led you into the land which I have sworn to your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And as for you, you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall tear down their altars. But you have not obeyed me. What is this you have done? So they went in, they conquered, they conquered the people, they killed the people. They did not destroy them completely. And then he goes on and says, therefore, I also said, I will not drive them out before you, but they will become as thorns in your sides and their gods will be a snare to you. They did not obey the Lord completely, completely. The first generation didn't obey the Lord at all. They just went right into worshiping idols. The second generation they go in, they make war, they fight, they displace the people by the hand of God. But then they started to, they didn't tear down the idols. They didn't obey the Lord completely. And he goes on and he says, okay, then I'm not going to drive them out. When the angel of the Lord in verse, in verse 4 says, Spoke these words to all the sons of Israel, the people lifted up their voices and wept. So they, they wept because of the word. They wept because of their disobedience. They wept because God was not going to do everything that he said he would do because he was bringing judgment upon the people. He would always keep his covenant. But that didn't mean that he would not bring judgment along with that covenant. And that's what's, being, what's taking place here in the second chapter of Judges. So the people went out to the land who survived Joshua. Then Joshua dies. The people die. And then the sons of Israel, uh, another, another generation, comes. And it says they did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And the Lord forsook. And they forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers. Now, there's the God of their fathers. There's the degree to which their fathers, that second generation, obeyed and disobeyed. And then there's the degree that this next generation, it says they forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt and followed other gods from among the gods of the people who were around them and bowed themselves down to them. Thus they provoked the Lord to anger. So as the first generation provoked the Lord to anger, now the Lord is being provoked by this third generation. Each generation provoking the Lord in their own way. Verse 13 says, So they forsook the Lord and served Baal and the Asherah, and the anger of the Lord burned against Israel, and he gave them into the hands of plunderers. Let us understand this. Every generation forsakes God. Each generation is judged by God. Each generation stands before the Lord God in their own sins and will be judged accordingly. One generation is never judged according to the actions 
the motives, the attitudes of another generation. God looks at the heart. He looks at the individual. He doesn't just broadly look at a generation. He looks at every individual person. I mean, when you get right down to it, God is not, he doesn't throw a blanket over anything. He sees every hair on our head. It's all numbered. He's got the stars in the heavens like the sea, uh, sand on the seashore n- named. God is not like men. We make judgments and we just throw a blanket because we can't go any further than that. God is not like us. We are not like God. God gets angry and it burns and it burns against individuals. Every generation of the children of Israel, listen to this. Every generation of the children of Israel is called the sons of Israel, the children of Israel. Within that generation, there's always a remnant. Just study out Romans 9, 10, and 11. You understand the, the key impact, the importance of the remnant. The remnant are true believers. The remnant are those people whose sins are washed away. They're cast into the depth of the sea. They're remembered no more. But it's the remnant. The body of people as a group, those born to the, the, the family of Abraham, were the children of Israel within the race of Adam. Those people, there's the children born by blood, and there's the children born by blood and by the Spirit in faith. Those who worship me, Jesus said, shall worship me in spirit and in truth. And that's the remnant. With the coming of the church, God turned from Israel to all the nations, all the Gentile nations. And there are remnants from every Gentile nation. The masses of the Gentiles are lost, but there's a remnant within each uh, of the Gentile nations. Those to whom the gospel is brought, those who receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, they become the remnant of that nation. And so it is that God looks on the heart of individual people. And he doesn't just look on groups of people, but he looks on the individual. And within that, there are some who are saved. So Jesus teaches in Matthew chapter 7 that uh, it is the few and the many. It's the many who go to destruction. It's the few who receive eternal life and are saved. Narrow is the gate, broad is the way. The many and the few. And so this word carries on through the scripture, and here we have it in generational differences. At this point, let's bring this episode, this team, into the New Testament. Let's get a clear understanding about which we were talking. When I was talking earlier, I was talking about uh, disobeying the commandments is not so much about the commandments, but about the giver of the commandments. Now that's where Paul brings it. Really clear in Romans chapter 1. So I'll be reading from 10. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. I just want to answer the question, how do men suppress the truth in unrighteousness? He goes on to say, because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. So they're... Suppressing the truth because what's known about God is evident. What do they do with it? He goes on in verse 20. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. So you look at the creation and you say, where did it come from? Well, it had someone had to make this. I mean, it's it's too it, it's too has too much design to just be an accident. And so there's God. Well, we don't want to understand that there's an eternal God because we don't want to be accountable to Him, and so we ignore that. Oh, we start to suppress the truth. And so he says, it's clearly seen, being understood through what has been made. So we're without excuse. For even though they knew God. They did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. I don't want to get into, in this lesson, 
you know, all the discrepancies about what this means and who, what people are being talked to. Let's just understand for this lesson, every generation goes through this. You're born, you grow up. As you grow up, questions are asked in the heart. Where did everything come from? Every person goes through this to some extent. Now, we're talking about generations, and that's the key point of where we're going with this. But we want to understand also individuals. So we're understanding right now, either generationally or as individuals, that there's this accountability before God because we all understand there has to be a God or should. You know, since Darwin has taken a whole new com com complex philosophy, but here we are in chapter one of Romans and it's saying there is a God and everyone understands that. But they're not honoring, we're not honoring him as God. And then it, it concludes in verse 20, it doesn't conclude, but it further goes on in verse 22, professing to be wise, they became fools. Why? Their foolish heart was darkened. Why? Because they didn't want to acknowledge God. And in verse 23, and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and birds, four-footed animals and crawling creatures. I mean, they get begin with worshiping man and end with crawling creatures. Why? Do not want to acknowledge that God is God. It's all about relationship. Relationship between men of the human race that came from Adam and the Almighty God who created all men. Now here's the key point, and this is, brings us back into you know, our accountability and generational differences and changes that take place in people's hearts. Therefore God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. Now there's, there's a transition there. It goes from considering the world around us, to then rejecting the evidence that there is, that there's a higher being, someone actually greater than we are, who designed and created everything that we're living in, to them that going from that place to God giving such people who think such things over to lusts of their heart. So that they then go over and actually do things that are wrong with their body. For, why? For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator. Who is blessed forever. Amen. So there's, see the transition. Now, going from one to the other makes one more accountable than the other. Uh, so you're in one condition. You're considering you're thinking through your mind what the world is all about. You become a teenager. You get thrown into a world of lusts and desires and things. And, and what do we do? Do we, do? do we grab for the giver of the things or the thing itself? And as men grow, every generation has its group of men. Every generation has its men who do just this. We grab for the world rather than God. And therefore God gives people over and they get worse and their heart becomes more hardened. And that's why in Hebrews we're told, therefore, if you hear God's voice, harden not your heart. Today is the day of salvation. Don't put it off when you hear. So man is accountable for light. There's the light that's heard in the generations before the law that didn't even have the law. They had the light of their own conscience is where we're talking about right here. That you understand just through, just through reason, that because of reason we understand that there's, if there's design, there has to be one who designed it. And the one who designed it is greater than us because he made all these things that we see. We don't make, you know, you can't make dirt. You know, we're just men. We can't make the sun and the moon and the stars and the heavens. It's someone greater than we are. You go from that to lusting after things. You go from lusting to doing. And then it goes further in verse 24. Therefore God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. And then in verse 26, for this reason God gave them over to degrading passions. For their women exchanged the natural function 
for that which is unnatural, and in the same way also the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their heart toward one another. So you see it goes even a step further, and it goes a step further, and men become harder and harder. And we can take that back into generations. There's the generations in the time of Joshua that served God, went in, conquered the land, risked their lives, trusted God. There was faith. There was God who delivered them in Egypt. And they weren't completely obedient. And then they gave birth to another generation who didn't even see and know those things. And they served and worshipped the Baals much more completely. And God was angry with that generation. And you see how it's working? I hope you see how it's working. Both in uh, Joshua and Judges and the early books, and God is declaring the same truth, and he's giving it even more meaning and more color here in Romans chapter 1, where he's giving men over in the same way he's giving them over to immorality. He's giving them over to homosexuality and greater degrees of lust. And just in verse 28, as they did not see fit to acknowledge God, that's what it always comes down to. It always goes back to this matter of God. We have the law. We have the gospel today, which is why Jesus is saying it's more tolerable for them than for you because now we have the gospel. We have even more than they had in the time of Jesus. They saw Jesus. They saw the miracles. They, saw the, the, they heard the teachings from his mouth. And now that's even expanded in the New Testament. And this becomes worse and worse and greater, more light and greater judgment. So he says, and just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper. And that, in the Greek, is basically a moron. The mind of a moron. Being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, their gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, Inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And I want you to understand that all of these traits, these characteristics, this matter of integrity, <clears throat> are coupled with this matter of understanding. We live in a generation, technically speaking, scientifically speaking, the knowledge of the atom. We have greater knowledge so far as the technical data is concerned. But according to God's word, that understanding of technical knowledge of science doesn't mean that we have more understanding in these things. What are these things? The things that make the world what it is. A world created by God, a, a world judged by God, a world that will be brought into judgment. Every person is brought into that judgment when they pass from this life to death into the next. They either go to be with Christ, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord, or they go to a place of torment and hell to wait the final judgment when they will be cast into the lake of fire. God is a God of judgment, and he is a God of righteousness. He's a God of mercy and love. He's a God who sent his son to die for the sins of those who would believe. God chooses. Why? Because God is God, and we don't have the right to make those choices. We don't even know our own heart, Paul said. He was a man who wrote in the New Testament. He was a man who had personal interviews with Jesus Christ. He was a man who was inspired to write God's word. And he said, I judge not my own self. You see, those who are proud, those who are alienated from God, they're boastful, as it says here. They're full of themselves, full of their own knowledge, full of their own wisdom, or so they think. And that's why it goes on and concludes this in verse 32 this first chapter in the book of Romans, and although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. Wow. Now that's what you call arrogance. A person who lives in light of the gospel, a person who knows in their own heart 
that there is a God, and that God will bring the world into judgment. And the greater light, the greater the judgment, and those who sit under the light of the gospel. But even though they know that those who practice such are worthy of death, it doesn't stop them. Now that's real ignorance. They just go headlong, practicing, doing, lusting in the heart, right all the way up into judgment. And that's the plight of men on the earth. And this, uh, this episode isn't meant to bring uh, depression. Is it meant to see only the dark side? It's about that there's another way. A way that's open. Open for those who believe. Those who are willing to receive Jesus Christ as Lord. Willing to accept that there is a God. Understanding that God gave his son. Understanding that that God became a man in the person of his son. So then he might identify with sinful men so that he might bear the price of their sin. The price of his own anger towards unrighteousness and ungodliness. He bore it in the person of Christ. He suffered. He suffered an eternity as he hung upon the cross. Only God can do that. That's why Jesus Christ had to be God and is God. And if you spend time in John chapter 5 and you read through those words carefully, repeatedly, you understand that he's declaring himself there to be God. He's declaring himself to be the only God. He's declaring himself as he did throughout the whole whole New Testament, declares Jesus Christ to be God Almighty. And as God Almighty, he paid an eternal price. That's why the the, the New Testament opens with the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John, above the other Gospels, more persistently, more clearly, declares Jesus Christ to be almighty God. And it begins in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him. And apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Nothing evolved. Nothing was made a different way. Nothing. There wasn't a big bang as if everything created itself, which nothing creates nothing but everything was created by God. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. God, to one degree, even though he's alienated from all men because of sin, he still gives enough light that men may know that he exists. The conscience has not been so darkened that man from his own heart can hear the voice of God that says, I am. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. It didn't overwhelm it completely. It didn't obliterate it. Then John came, and he gave testimony to the light, the true light that came into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. That's Jesus. In verse 11 of John chapter 1, he came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. That's Israel. But, and here's the remnant, as many as received him to them, he gave the right to become, or the authority to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You see, it's a new birth. So when Jesus stands, sits before Nicodemus, and he looks into his eyes, and he said, you must be born again. That's right. Born of God. So that being born of God, people can receive this Jesus Christ. The choice is God's. But if God chooses you, and he's speaking to your heart, which he will, And if your heart is being spoken to even during this broadcast, because you've been awakened to the truth, because your eyes have been opened, then it's on your part. Receive Jesus Christ as Lord, and he will come into your heart. He will save you, and he will expand the heart that he has placed within you. You must be born again. We can't birth ourselves. We must be birthed by God. 
and having to be birthed by God, we do what that new birth does. It receives Jesus Christ. It receives the truth of God's word, all of God's word. So the born-again believer receives Jesus as Lord, and then the desire of his heart is to know the word of God, to study the word of God, to know the God of the word, to obey the God of the word, to submit to him as Lord and as Savior. This is the way it's done. This is the way it has to be done. Why? Because God has to show mercy on the people who are obstinate. That's why every generation has its own sin. Every generation will not acknowledge God. Every generation turns to idols because they don't want to be judged by the one true God. Every generation is conceited and lustful, arrogant and proud. And we snub our nose at the one true God. We resent him and we go our own way. And no matter how deep that way is, no how arrogant or how disobedient that way is, all men need Christ. From the person who's brought up in a Christian home, who's brought up among godly people, among people who know the right way and who are morally at a high level. They're just as, they're guilty. They're not just as guilty, they're guilty before Almighty God and they will be judged by Almighty God and they will be sent to hell by Almighty God if they don't repent and believe the gospel. Those who go further, those who sin greater, will receive the judgment due to them in their bodies on that last day. But they too are, uh, are, can receive Jesus Christ. They too, according to the choice given them by God. You might be listening to this and you might be saying, hey, man, if this choice isn't really ultimately mine, <clears throat> what can I do? That's not how a person is to look at it. I'm giving you all the truth right now for whatever reason so that God's truth may reign and rule in your heart. And for those who will believe, understand, it doesn't matter that God chooses men because men still choose God. And if, as I said before, God is speaking to your heart, the only thing that matters is that you answer, you hear and you give your life to Christ. That's the only thing that matters to you right now. Are you being touched? Do you understand, wow, there really is a God? Wow, God really gave his son for a purpose. What's the purpose? Because men are evil. Because men turn away from God. Because men, each and every one of us, is a sinner. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. <clears throat> we all abandon God. We don't want to know God. We'd rather judge God than sit and have him judge us. But the day is coming, and the day is now, if you're outside of Christ and you're listening to this, this message. It's the message of the gospel. And you need to hear the lessons of, of the book of Judges, the generational differences that God judges each person, the book of Romans, that God judges each and every man, and he will judge you and me. We all stand before God, and we're either quitted on the basis of what Jesus did for us as we identified, have been identified with Christ, or if we stand alone without Christ, we will be judged for our sins. May that not be one hearer today. If that's you, come to Christ, acknowledge that he is God, and receive him as your own, and begin to read the Bible. Begin to pray that God would lead you to God's people and not a religious people who do not know him. And I hope every hearer of this episode will continue to listen to other episodes, be blessed, and will contact me. Let me know that uh, what's going on in your life. Either send me an email, go on my website, however you got to this um, podcast, you can go to the Jesus You Need to Know or in godlyincrease.org um, and you can reach me there uh, through email or uh, phone number. Uh, Lord bless the hearing of his word and Lord bless you, my dear listener. Amen. Amen.